Welcome back to Ravens Recap. Good golly. What a game that was last night, guys. Man, we're going to talk about it, but there are just some games you watch, and I'm sure you listening right now can think of several from the past, but there's just some games you watch, and as you watch it unfold, you just know it's an instant classic, and that's exactly what last night was, a game the Ravens had to win. They're basically in playoff mode now. Dramatic things happened in that last fourth quarter, and... You know, not all of it was good for the Ravens. You know, there's some there were some things that the Ravens need to clean up too, most certainly. But I mean, the immediate takeaway was that's the most exciting Ravens game we've watched probably since the game against the Patriots last year. Uh, yeah. I mean, it might have been the best game this season. Period. Right? Not just Ravens, just any NFL game that might have been the best one. Yeah, definitely. I mean guys i mean my initial reaction for this is like this reminds me so much of the 2012 game against the denver broncos the divisional round so many points in this game you're like the ravens have got it they're going to run away with this game the browns kept fighting and hanging in there you know the lead kept shifting until you know you finally hit that fourth and five play and who comes out of the locker room lamar jackson comes back to save the ravens and take the lead at the end but that still wasn't it it's just like it kept going <laughs> you know every time you thought the Ravens had you know had the Browns on ice the Browns just kept coming back it was just wow like I have not felt that way from a game in such a long time I've forgotten <laughs> what it had felt to to be a part of such like a such a close game between two hard-fought competitors yeah I tweeted about it last night how this was the first time I felt like this since 2012 uh just like you had said I forgot what this felt like. And I'll be honest, it, it was such a whirlwind at the end of the game. It was lost on me that it was fourth and five when we needed that play from Lamar. And <laughs> like, that's the kind of game it was. There was just so much going on that I, I, I when I, I knew, I guess in a way it was fourth and five, like it was fourth down, it was a must make play. But at the same time, like it didn't even sink in because I was just like, our, our king's back, right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like that's. I was more focused on the fact that he was back and it was his first play back than like, oh, and by the way, it's the most important play of the game. And maybe that was also a byproduct of uh, the injury timeout and and all that 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 occurred. But yeah, it was a a wild moment. It was such a whirlwind of just emotions watching that drive. I agree one hundred percent with you guys. That was, you know, you, you know when you're watching a good game and it's close and exciting and your team is fighting in it you just get like kind of like a pit in your stomach and you feel adrenaline wash while you're watching it and like that was there for most of the fourth quarter but then when McSorley had to come in it was just like I mean this guy fought against Pittsburgh in garbage time you're like what what in the world are we going to do here he's he's not going to be able to get the Ravens in position here but then he had that third down pass to Sneed where Sneed caught on for an excellent catch Oh my gosh. The play by Dobbins after that, where he fumbles forward and Bozeman thankfully leaps on it. And then, you know, we get across midfield and then unfortunately McSorley, you know, injures himself. And I I don't know about you guys. I went to a dark place because I was just like, how in the world can the Ravens be this unlucky? Your star quarterback (laughs) is in the locker room with something. I still don't know if we know exactly if it was cramps or, or something else, but... And then I don't know who our emergency quarterback would have been if Lamar couldn't come out. Is it Sam Cook? Is it Willie Sneed? Calais Campbell? Is Willie Sneed? Is Kevin Campbell do everything? Willie Sneed? (laughs) Oh, is it actually Sneed? Yeah. It's Sneed. Yeah. Okay. I would have loved it to have been Campbell, but. (laughs) (laughs) 
apparently Sneed is actually a pretty decent thrower. Like they do like some when they do drills sometimes uh, at practice, he does decently. And uh, yeah, I mean, he was legitimately warming up, which honestly, like, I'm sorry. I said it during the game. I'm going to say it now. When I saw the footage of Lamar going into the locker room, he looked more spry than probably 90% of all quarterbacks, period. And I was like, he should have never left the field. <laughs> like, I mean, okay, I'm glad that you got hydrated and you weren't cramping anymore, but like, you looked fine, dude. <laughs> and maybe that's why he missed that, t- that pass. That could have been a sure touchdown to Andrews. Maybe he was cramping up and it's like affecting his passes. I'm not trying to make light of the situation, but honestly, when McSorley went down, I was like, he has to go back in. Like, I, I would be shocked if he didn't, because then he had to be much more injured than they were letting on, or even he did, going into the locker room. It all just added to the uh, to the drama of this fourth quarter. <laughs> I mean, you know, you you could have not scripted it up any better. I mean, I'm you know, I'm speaking for you guys. When we saw Lamar trotting back on the field, we were like, oh my god, we have a chance. You know, it, we were in such, you know, like you said, Peter, we were in such a dark place before then. We're like, McSorley is not going to win us this game, and the Browns are going to come back because our defense can't stop anybody right now. But, yeah, and then he came out in the fourth and five. <laughs> oh, my God. It was oh, just insane. And a pass to Marquise, no less, who is disappointing us most of the game. And uh, I don't know, Chris, if you were talking about that or you're talking about Lamar coming back. But uh, when you're like, oh, you were right. But I was like, honestly, when Lamar went out, I was I was of the opinion you have to feed it to Marquise, even though it sounds ridiculous because of the how he was not being successful, not getting it done. There's just no other player like him, except for maybe you know, the running game, obviously. Um, but in the past game, honestly, I don't think there's anyone else like him to just like create. And maybe that's being unfair to. Andrews, who did have some big plays, and Sneed, who also came in clutch. I mean, he's been there the last couple games. He's had these big touchdowns and big moments. And I kind of was like, you know what? I want to go back to that well. And I was so glad to see it worked out. I think Andrews could have uh, had a good chance to make the big play, too. I mean, he almost had a touchdown earlier in the the game right before the first half on a similar play. Lamar scrambling to the to his right, and Andrews was on a, on a delayed route there, and he was able to find a soft spot in the zone. But absolutely, Andrews does not have the speed and just the the agility that Marquise has in the open field. And and that's why he's getting so scrutinized, unfortunately for him, by the fan base and, and some former former Ravens wide receivers, because the talent is undeniable that he has. It's just, you know, finding ways to get this young player more consistent better with his hands, which is interesting because I don't remember that being an issue with him last year, but maybe he's just overthinking or, or something along the lines, uh, maybe some injury we're not aware of. But this team clearly has playmakers that can help this team climb out of deficits, which I think is, is something I haven't heard much from Ravens fans talk yet because we've known forever this team could do that. But nationally, everyone is always saying, oh, this Ravens offense they can't climb their way out of a deficit. Well, they climbed their way out of t- two deficits last night. So you can't use that argument anymore. Yeah, it's it, it almost pains me to say this, but I think the AFC North is better when the Browns are better, <laughs> right? It, you know, it's it, it's something I've been thinking about a little bit and, and just like that game was so good and not just because the Ravens were able to rally behind, but because the Browns were 
basically doing the same thing the whole game you know there were certain points i think just after halftime you know i told you guys i was like you know hey if we can score before the half and then we can score after the half like that's that's the dream that's right there like if we can do that we basically win and despite all the ravens defenses best efforts like baker mayfield and the browns were able to climb out of that hole and make up that 14 point deficit and uh you know, they just kept coming. It, it, it hit a point where we're like, guys, we just have to score last because if we don't, we're going to lose this in overtime. And yeah, man, I've I've never seen a game like this from the Browns. And, you know, if, if we have more of these in store, like one, I'm definitely going to need to take some medicine because I'm going to have a heart attack. But <laughs> two, you know, you, you can't as like a, as a football fan in general, you just can't ask for it any game better than this like this had absolutely everything it's going to be remembered for a long time and you know the browns being good if that can just make more of these games i think most football fans will take that so i mean how glad were we that it was on monday night in a way like it would have been a shame to have this game any time else than that you know it had to be a primetime game Absolutely. And I think I'm going to have to eat crow on that because I don't know if you guys remember when we did, I, Alex laughing, I guess he does remember when we did the the yeah. schedule analysis when that came out, I was just like, why in the world do you have Ravens Browns on Monday night in December? Like, you know, <laughs> I was listing off all these other matchups I thought would be better to put there, but ESPN knew what they were doing, I guess. I don't, I highly doubt that anyone really knew this game was going to, you know, have a combined 89 point total but exactly alec it would have been such a shame if that game was not on prime time and then of course like you said chris it's not over <laughs> we score we go ahead lamar celebration huge moment more like cloud and the browns of four plays say screw you <laughs> they tie the game but critically i think everyone said it immediately oh about a minute left on the clock that's too much time right Everyone had confidence. They're like, Lamar Jackson's back. He like he's like the king. I mean, like I, I don't want to make biblical references here, but it's like the Messiah coming in, man. Like, like when he came back in the game, I was like, it's happening. It's gonna happen. Like, I don't care what you do, Cleveland, you're not gonna stop this man. Like, if, if you give him even a second or a chance, he's gonna make something happen. And sure enough, he comes in, one of the most methodical drives we've seen, and then Justin Tucker comes out. Yeah, it was just too easy at that point. It was just dump off pass to to Mark Andrews, dump off pass again to Mark Andrews, dump off pass again. It's because Cleveland just, they can't cover that man. They cannot figure out how to cover Mark Andrews. He did not have a touchdown last night, but he still had 78 yards receiving and had five touchdowns over the previous three meetings against Cleveland. Cleveland can't stop Mark Andrews. They can't stop Lamar on the ground or through the air because remember he had three passing touchdowns in week one against them. So I will say, if the Browns really are for real and they're not going to fall off like they did after 2018 and have to climb climb back uh, in 2020, at least the Ravens fans, we can feel good that we have two players that are just going to give this team a headache in every matchup we have against them. Yeah, I felt, you know, I, I told you guys before when we were doing the predictions, I, I felt the, the biggest thing for me was that last week, I think the Ravens had got some of their swag back, having everybody back from the COVID list. It just seemed like there was a renewed energy, and I was I was betting on that to kind of carry through this game. But oh my goodness, just just after this game, man, like you know, with everything that happened and and just 
you know, being able to come out with a win like that with so many different score changes, like this team's confidence right now has got to be through the roof. It's just, you know, knock on wood, I would not want to be the the first team to hit the Ravens uh, in the playoffs, presuming that they make it. They're just playing unbelievably well right now. Um, definitely have a lot of things to tighten up, especially on defense. They still need to find a way to get healthy. But, oh my goodness, like Lamar is looking almost even better than he did last year, and that was his MVP season. At least for the last two games, he's been looking extremely well. Oh, I was mentioning during the game. That's why I, I was like trying to think. I was like, what was my point? Oh, I hate the fact that we have to wonder if the Ravens are going to make the playoffs. Clearly worthy, right? I can guarantee the NFL, if the NFL fixes games, they're going to make sure the Ravens get in the playoffs because <laughs> they're clearly one of the better teams that can actually do something. And it's just a sin that it's even a question at this point, in my opinion. Like they have to they have to be in the playoffs. It'll be such a better playoff. I, just as an impartial observer, I can say that. You want to have last year's MVP in the playoffs, right? Like, he's still playing great. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I will say that the AFC is, is stacked this year, and you got to... Well, bunch of great teams in there. I do really hope the Ravens get in there. Not sure if we're going to talk about it in this episode or when we do the preview for Jacksonville, but it's going to be tight. It's going to be tight even if the Ravens do win out. So Ravens fans have got to enjoy this victory, but the Ravens players themselves are going to have to have a, a short memory because like, like Jimmy Smith said last year after the Ravens came off that big win against New England, if we go into Cincinnati next week and lay an egg, this game meant nothing. Same thing again. Got to get it done against Jacksonville in a seemingly cupcake matchup, but still got to play the game. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not going to... I guarantee there's going to be a point this season, unfortunately, where we get nervous that we're going to blow it. It feels like it'd be not of 2020 to not have a moment like that. So uh, you got to get prepared for it. But I do think there's a lot we can take away from this game positively. And of course, the things that we want to fix. Before we continue, we want to take a short break to tell you about our friends at Silver Branch Brewery, a young Maryland brewery located in downtown Silver Spring. You may have seen their cans at your local liquor stores, even up in Baltimore. They're actually designed by a local artist, and I know they're starting to get popular because even my cousin reached out and said, hey, this Silver Branch place near you, I'm seeing them, and it's become one of my favorite breweries. I actually just finished their Endless Odyssey beer which was one of three styles they recently released, and they're all delicious. They had a barrel-aged one and then more of a dessert beer, and they're all really good. But if stouts aren't your thing, no worries. They have many different kinds of styles. Even my wife, who isn't much of a beer drinker, enjoys a couple of their beers, including one of their amber ales and their gozas. So if you're ever in the area, make sure to check them out. And if you're not, you can go ahead and find them in your local liquor store. You should see them there. It's a really great brewery experience with a nice beer garden and delicious food. If you're ever in the Silver Spring area, one of my favorite carryout places during the pandemic. And if you want to find out more, their website is silverbranchbrewing.com. All right. So no, nothing so perfect that we can't complain about it. Right, guys? So here are my quibbles. I was really irate at the end of the second quarter when it was 30-19 and the Ravens decided to just run the ball. I was so mad at that play call because I think if you don't think that you can go ahead and get 19 yards in the air continue to drive, and maybe score, you're not a playoff team. I go, oh, so upset, because I just watched the Chiefs, right? I just watched the Chiefs. They can do it at will. They need 20 yards, no problem. They just do it, right? They're not as afraid. They're not going to pack it in on a play like that. And I'm like, you can't beat these kind of teams by packing it in. I got so mad. Did that upset you guys as much as it upset me? 
It was an interesting call, especially because the the drive before the Ravens had uh, gone eight plays, 80 yards, and that was, I believe that was Gus Edwards. Yeah, that was Gus Edwards' first touchdown of the game. Uh, And then the Browns answered with a touchdown, so you had to keep the foot on the gas pedal. Going three and out after the Browns scored a touchdown didn't feel great. Luckily, though, the defense bailed them out, and the Browns had arguably, I would say, an even worse series of plays than the Ravens had right there. And then the Ravens were able to score a touchdown in four plays. So, yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, it was curious, but it worked out for the Ravens there. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how, the, how aggressive the Ravens are in the future games. Yeah, I, I think the, the thing for me at that point in the game was that it felt like they, the, the Browns weren't behind but they were leaning a little bit too much on Baker's arm at that point. I was actually pretty surprised that uh, Stefanski was not calling as many runs for for Chubb or Hunt, honestly. They really didn't have that many snaps in the, the first half of the game. Even though the Browns had scored on the previous drive, I, I, I it, it wasn't like Baker was scaring me all that much and that they would score again. So I, I don't mind it from that perspective. Now, obviously, in the second half, I think it was a completely different story. I think Baker was playing a lot better. I think he was hitting a lot more uh, targets uh, and kind of just wasn't relying as much on some of the check down passes that I think he was relying on early in the game. Um, and, and overall, I think their offense was just clicking a little bit more. So I, I wasn't I wasn't too upset with it. I guess the other thing to keep in mind too is that you know the Browns really had made some good adjustments when, you know, when they realized, okay, Jimmy Smith is not going to come back in the game and Marcus Peters was dealing with some injuries and Harris was also dealing with some injuries. So like it, it just became, you know, near the second half where we were just like, somebody's got to play corner. <laughs> you know, we don't know who, but somebody's got to play it. And, and the Browns were kind of like hitting that matchup every single time in the first half, you know, they didn't really have that option. Yeah. That was another thing we'll probably end up discussing and we probably can just end up discussing right now that I kind of was frustrated with was that when Jimmy did go down, they decided that man coverage was no longer an option, which I thought was interesting. And we've seen it time and time again with this team that zone isn't as good of a coverage scheme for them. And I can buy that they're worried about giving up a big play going into man with a cornerback that hasn't really, uh, you know, He's off the streets, essentially, with uh, Devonta Harris. No matter how many good plays he's had, he's still, at the end of the day, unemployed uh, until all these injuries. So I guess I can understand it, but I think it's almost prematurely handicapping the team. I would rather see them give up the big play than assume that they're going to. Yeah, I I hear that. I mean, they're going to get they get a bunch of chunk plays instead. Right, I, I guess what I'm getting at is, it seemed like the way they were running it, they were giving up chunk, 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 and they score. Okay, great. They used up more clock. <laughs> they got your defense more tired, and they still got the same result. I I kind of didn't like that. Yeah, I, I feel like it's it's a little like damned if you do, damned if you don't there though, because I I do think that Harris would have gotten picked on and struggled insanely in you know just man on man on the island coverage right there which maybe like you're saying maybe a quicker touchdown uh helps you out in the long run i don't know (laughs) but it's just it is something that the ravens are gonna have to figure out because the secondary which they have worked so hard to just keep a patchwork throughout this year with injuries to uh 
Jimmy Smith, to Tavon Young, to Anthony Averett, time missed by both Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey, uh, though not for as long as those other guys. And like the secondary, which we were felt the most comfortable with going into the season, I kind of feel like right now is this the unit that you're most worried about just because of how beat up it is, what players are missing. This explosive offense for the Ravens is coming at the right time, I think, because it might be to win games in the playoffs, assuming they get there, they're going to have to be an offensive team like they were in 2012. I mean, anyone who actually watched the Ravens then, you know, a lot of NFL fans like to say, oh, well, well, the defense carried Joe Flacco to that that Super Bowl 47 win as well. I'm not saying the defense was terrible that playoff cause, run because they weren't, but if the offense didn't do what they did that playoff run, uh, the Ravens don't win the Super Bowl. They don't even make it. They lose to Denver. So in my opinion, it's the area of most concern going forward. Yeah, I think actually the comparison's apt because this defense is good, and I would almost say their best quality is their opportunistic. Uh, we saw it even in this game. They generate a lot of opportunity for turnover. <laughs> Maybe they don't actually get a turnover because the ball is quickly recovered or goes out of bounds, but they, they generate a lot of opportunity. And I think 2012's defense kind of reminded me of that, too. You always had the fear of one of those wily veterans doing something great. And they did sometimes, right? And I think that was kind of their their defensive legacy at that point. It wasn't they were dominant, but they always had the opportunity to step up to the occasion. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, another kind of like, you know, it's almost like a B storyline at this point. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, one of the stats that came out was uh, Marlon Humphrey has now set a franchise record for most forced fumbles in the season. I think he's only two away from the all-time record for forced fumbles for, from a cornerback. So, yeah, man, he continues to to really, you know, make those opportunities. It was, you know, it was real unfortunate. I know the first forced fumble was just, you know, went out of bounds and nobody could do anything about it. But the second one was like there was a real opportunity there to be another turnover. But unfortunately, uh, Jarvis Landry was just able to get up back on top of it. But yeah, it's not just him too, you know. Uh, Marcus Peters also had another one. Tyus Bowser with that interception. Great, great call by Wink Martindale. Mayfield didn't even see it coming. Uh, even though, you know, even though, you know, watching the screen, it was like, you know, what are you doing? You're staring down the guy. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think that was one thing that we noted, you know, even like week five, week six, when we were like, you know, we haven't figured out the offense yet, but the defense was just so good at forcing those opportunities and the offense would just score quickly. And that was like the formula for the first couple of games. But uh, yeah, you know, in some though, Jimmy Smith's injuries are kind of worrying me. You know, we had such a good run for like nine games, 10 games, and then, you know, the wheels have kind of fallen off a little bit you know, as far as Jimmy Smith's health. But, you know, I'm not sure exactly what it was to to have him go out this game, but you hope that he can get healthy and we just, you know, and he can come back for a couple more games because um, the defense is just completely different when we have all three of those guys playing man coverage. Yeah, you really don't want a, a repeat of, of 2014. Good gosh, that, that year. If the Ravens had anyone to pair on the opposite dot, side of Ladarius Webb that year, against new england they probably get a win there and to the afc championship game hopefully that's not the direction the ravens are heading here but yeah going back to the opportunistic thing though i i hadn't realized this watching the game but the ravens forced seven fumbles in this game but didn't recover any like that's (laughs) (laughs) the odds of that uh i would have to think are are rare but i don't think it's ever happened have had a few (laughs) 
<laughs> it might not have. Yeah. Like that is seriously. Like, insane. what are the chances? Think, yeah, it's like a fifty-fifty play. How <laughs> <I> many <laughs> times you see a seven fumble game? And then of that subset, how many of them did it go the other way? I don't. I don't think it ever happened. I'm gonna say yeah. no. <laughs> that is pretty crazy. Yeah, Higgins was having a hell of a time trying to hold on the ball. I want to say like at least two, maybe three of them were just from him. Oh, he had his first two uh, catches of the game, right? Were fumbles? I think so, yeah. All right, so there were eight total fumbles in this game. Apparently, three times in 1943, 1967, and 1978, there were 10 fumbles in a game. And then you had... <laughs> Leave it to the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> they're, all, they're all common on this, this chart I'm seeing. <laughs> they are, yeah. <laughs> it looks like 11 games with nine, so... And, and six with eight. So, yeah, they're very few. Like, if we can pull, like, what it, I'm guesstimating this is, like, 20 games that have had eight and up fumbles, yeah, that's a rarity. Well, it says how many are lost next to it. And all of them, none of them have a goose egg. <laughs> so, I think, there you go. All right, there you go. That's another another historical thing about this game. I think we'll also get to the fact, apparently, 47 to 42, first time in NFL history that that exact score has happened in a game According to what was that Twitter account that uh, correspondent Kfish forwarded us? Scorigami. Scorigami. Yeah. Shout Scorigami. out to Scorigami on on that. They have a very interesting graphic on there where you can look at all the unique uh, scores in NFL history. It's uh, it's it's worth a couple minutes of your time if uh, if you're interested in stats like that. Yeah, this is just nuts. How about that? Unreal. Well. <laughs> I guess I guess to end out the quibble corner, even though we kind of went into some positives again, I want to talk about our ceremonial first snap and then the rest of the game. So Ingram got a single snap all game, which was the first one, which was almost kind of sad at this point. Honestly, like I, that that almost made me cry. <laughs> you know, like ah, God, it's so disappointing. I mean, it's what we've been asking for in a way, but it's so sad that it's kind of come to this with him. I I did get upset though yet again of seeing Justice Hill just when you have Dobbins and Edwards doing everything so well. I mean they're they're not detractors. They are playing incredible ball. To take them out, it's just like why? What are you doing? Again in a playoff game. That's not what I thought you were going to quibble about. Actually, I, I was I thought you were going <laughs> to quibble on the first play call that they gave to Ingram. It was just very confusing. It was no, we're not going to run the ball on first down to open the game. We're going to do a flea flicker. <laughs> Nobody's going to expect that. I was just like that was that seemed like a dumb call to me. Just way too early in the game for that. Now maybe the first play on the next drive, after dude, you know. first play of a Ravens game with Ingram in the game. I don't think they've ever not ran the ball. <laughs> so, I mean, it might yeah. be the perfect time to do something like that. <laughs> oh, I, lo- I love the call. I was happy about it, to be honest. But yeah, I I think it was kind of weird. It seemed like there was some hesitation in the pitch back. They were, they were really trying to sell yeah. a lackluster run. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's true. The execution was not there, but I, I yeah. think the idea was was worthwhile. I mean, I was actively typing in the note. Like, I saw Ingram was back there, and I saw the handoff, and I'm like, my God, yet again, <laughs> they run on first down with Ingram, and I was and I, and I was like, oh, never mind. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. What a mess. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, but back to your original point, though, like, look, man, I mean, we're, we're getting closer to the formula. Week to week, it's like, we're getting more Dobbins, we're getting more Edwards. 
you know, even though Roman, you know, the other week was kind of like Ingram's doing the dirty work, it's clear from the, at least the play calls this, you know, past game, he got one snap. That was it. Uh, there wasn't really any dirty work to be done there. You know, we're just, we're giving the ball more to the young guys because they're just, like, like you said, they're just playing such good ball right now. It's it's funny, just thinking back to the, you know, beginning of the season, we're just like, you know, who's the guy? Is it, I know Alec was like, it's Dobbins, it's Dobbins. And I'm like, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, like, ah, Edwards is doing pretty good. But now it's just <laughs> like, you can't take either of them off the field. They're just both so good in different ways and, and just slightly different ways. It has to be one of the good, you know, one of the better pairings that the Ravens have ever had as far as a one-two punch at the running back. Which punch would you rather have? Chubb Hunt or Edwards Dobbins? Right now. I would rather have Edwards and Dobbs. That And that's completely homer of me. I know. I will say of all four of those backs, Chubb. Chubb is the one I want. But Gus Edwards is really starting to become one of my favorite all-time Ravens. I just love how the guys just... It feels like every year Ravens fans are just like... They just take this guy for granted. And they just like keep waiting for a flashier back. Because, I mean, Gus is effective. And he's, you know, he's fun to watch. But he's not... You know, he doesn't have the, the biggest skill set of a running back. He's just madly efficient. Like, that's what he's so good at. But, you know, I, I feel like in 2018, everyone was just like, why, why are we giving the ball so much to Gus? Give it more to Kenneth Dixon. Then in 2019, it was, oh, we can't give Gus uh, carries because we got to give it to, to Ingram. And then coming into this season, it was like, oh, Dobbins is going to run Gus's role right out of the offense. And this guy's just continuing to find a, a spot for himself you know, despite other guys performing well around him, too. You just got to love his resilience. Yeah, I'm finding it hard to hate on him. I mean, he also is just a great gift guy. You know, like, there's so many good bus gifts. Like, can't deny <laughs> it. <laughs> but answering your question, uh, I uh, yeah, I'm, I'm answering that with purple, uh, purple lenses. I think most people would say Chubb and Hunt. I don't think it's obvious. I, I mean, honestly, like, that's kind of why I asked it. I don't think it's a home run either way. I would say this. I mean, I, I kind of remember what Chubb was like his first year. And I mean, Dobbins looks really good. I mean, I know he's not like the big bruiser who's fast and like kind of the perfect package, but I think he's, he's just, he's special. He does have a soft spot in my heart and he's not a bad, and then Edwards, not a bad guy. He does some weird rap video stuff that I think it's really good that he sticks to his, his football career. <laughs> but you know, he, He's not getting like a bunch of other bad things around him that make him not a lead back in the NFL. <laughs> I was not aware of of Edwards' uh, attempt at a rapping career. I might have to check that out, or maybe I should. I mean, a couple guys on the team, you know, Trace McSorley, like Jihad Ward. Didn't he have one? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. Yeah, it's Gus is the man. You know, you, I, you know, it's one of those weird thought experiments too. You think back to it and be like, Gus basically started at the same time as Lamar. How, how would Lamar's career have looked different if Gus were not there? I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah, no, Chris is 100% right about that. It was after that bye, uh, Gus got was getting a few carries going into the bye there. But yeah, out of the bye, it was uh, Lamar Jackson and Gus Edwards starting in the backfield. Oh, uh, yeah, because that was the Alex Collins year. That was the year that people were drafting Alex Collins in the third, fourth round. And I was like, you're crazy. I wouldn't touch that man. <laughs> and then yep. and then edwards completely overtook him that's right i totally forgot yep i mean edwards had a stretch of a couple games where he was getting i think 100 yards a game like you know he was 
extremely efficient. And I think it was that year too where he was like he would never get under four yards to carry. It was like always good for like four to ten yards every single time. Like never got tackled for a loss. Right. Never tackled for a loss. That that was preposterous. Yeah. Props to that guy. That I mean, undrafted, right? Really cool. Yeah. Good work. I mean, it's him and Dobbins next year, right? Ingram's probably Ingram's gotta get cut. <laughs> Ingram's definitely cut. I'm curious if if we're gonna keep Gus. So he's restricted. I wonder what kind of tender we'll put on him. Just gotta just gotta beat out the Jets. That's all we know. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm curious if Edwards would want to be a lead dog somewhere. You know. I mean, I don't know if anyone would be a lead dog these days. You know, but maybe be more the one. So he might have interest in his own way. But honestly, if I'm a running back. Man, I would want to be with the best running team in the NFL. I want to get my rings and call it good. But I guess also as a running back, you're going to get one contract, so you better make the most of it. Yeah, I think one of my favorite plays, going a little bit back to the game and less about speculating what's going to go on with Gus <laughs> in the offseason. But uh, you know, one of my favorite plays, I think it was this, I want to say it was a second touchdown where he showed a you know a lot of speed to be able to get to that left sideline and kind of outrun everybody on the uh, – on the Browns defense is one of those things you just, you don't really expect too much from him, right? Because he's a good downhill runner and that's almost all he does. You know, he doesn't have a whole lot of moves. He's not very flashy, but that run in particular, I thought he, he showed a couple, you know, kind of lateral quickness to be able to get away from some guys. And then finally kind of have the speed to be able to get to the corner. It was just a, a really, really great play from him. And, you know, obviously really well blocked. I think it was Powers. I, I feel like, I think it was the play that Powers had a really fantastic block. I, I mentioned to you guys during the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was that play. Yeah, that was one of his uh, one of his two touchdowns, I think, that game. I actually realized I had one more quibble. One more quibble for the quibble corner. And I think we're all in agreement on this quibble. Sloppy execution and overall game mechanics. Lots of 10 or 15 men on the field problems, illegal formations, burning timeouts to fix the problems. Do we actually have an illegal formation penalty this game? Or was it just we were going to have one and then Harbs called a timeout? I think we broke the streak by calling a timeout. Yes. Yes. I do believe that is the case. (laughs) Is it? I mean, you burned a timeout. I think it's a lateral move. I think it was in a decently high leverage situation, though. So I guess maybe you could say it's a plus. But come on, guys. Come on. Uh, Somebody needs to figure that out. I don't understand. We've been talking about it far too long. You know they have to be practicing it. Like, how are they messing this up at this point? It's kind of wild. Virtual practice. There's other teams that, like, don't have this problem. You know what I mean? Like, most teams in the NFL do not have this as a defined habitual problem. It is a little confusing. I mean, obviously the Ravens have a different type of offense than almost any other team in the league. But then again, like, you know, there are teams like the Chiefs that have tons of like crazy motions in the backfield, like all the time. Right. I mean, they have some absolutely insanely creative plays. And, I, you know, I, you know, I, I don't watch every single Chiefs game, but I, I don't think anybody's really talking about illegal formation penalties on the Chiefs. Right. They're just so goddamn good at offense. <laughs> but... um. Yeah, it, it's it is weird, uh, for sure. The uh, the the defensive substitution one, where they had like fifteen guys on the field or something, something insane. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I really I really don't know what was going on there. I mean, obviously the defense is allowed to make substitutions, and you know I, I think 
you know, Baker was doing a good job realizing that, you know, they were a little bit late to the ball. I, I don't know if the guys thought that they maybe had more time, but you know, the, the part where like you still had three guys coming off, but then you still had like Calais trying to figure out like, okay, am I on or am I off? Even after the other guys had gone off, it was just very, very strange, very uncharacteristic. So there's actually a website where we can look up illegal formation penalties by player sorted by team, although it only has five listed for Baltimore in 2020 so far. I don't know how up-to-date this is. 13 games. No way. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it feels like it's been way more than five. However, I will say that Baltimore is leading the this list. <laughs> no surprise there, yeah. <laughs> All right, end of Quibble Corner. Let's go and talk about some things that went well. Who wants to go first? I'll say something that went well. Keeping up the streak against Baker Mayfield with getting a pick. It was talked about going into the game that there were two streaks on the line. Baker Mayfield had gone, what, 187 pass attempts without an interception, something like that. And he also had not escaped a game against the Ravens without getting an interception. And which would win out? Well, the Ravens getting an interception off Baker would. And Tyus Bowser had his third interception in as many games and is becoming the Ravens' ball hawk of all players, which I don't think any of us had going into the year. (laughs) Well, look, I did some research during the game. Tyus Bowser's birthday, May 23rd. I want Tyus Bowser re-signed to the Ravens before his birthday. That's That's my plea. Because he is a huge asset to this team, and I don't want to see him go to another opponent that we'll have to see. And I think... Many savvy teams are licking their chops at the opportunity, the young man in their building. He'll only be 26 going into next year, and it took a while for the second rounder to kind of blossom. I mean, there were years where people were saying that Ty Spouser wasn't getting it, but it's finally starting to really come together, particularly this year. I mean, yeah, I think one of the huge benefits of, of playing on this particular defense is that uh, Wink is able to put him in situations to really maximize his skill set. I mean, I don't think anybody, Raven, any Ravens fan would would say that we're resigning Bowser because of his pass rush skills. I, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's his strength. He's stepped it up a little bit this year, but then again, you know, we're looking for sacks. We're looking for you know the Terrell Suggs, Elvis Dumerville, like those kind of players. That's why everybody was so frustrated when we tagged Judon was because. You know, we thought like, okay, he's he's not going to be that guy. He's not going to get the sacks. They're all designed, all that stuff. Anyway, not not to bring up that argument here, but but my point is is that like you know, Bowser hasn't needed to be that uh, player to play all the snaps in a game to be able to rush the passer and drop back in coverage. We can put him in specific packages, particularly on that one interception for Baker where he was feigning a rush drop back into his zone and was able to get right into Baker's face and, and pick off the ball. Um, so I, I'm definitely interested to see what's going to happen this offseason with him. I mean, I would think that the Ravens probably have a better chance to sign him than Judon, just given the the price difference between the two. I, I am curious to see like how many other teams would want a player like that, though, because... You know, I mean, I think Judon could, you know, is and 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 should be if he gets re-signed and every down player. He's good enough and, and well-rounded in kind of all aspects that he could do that. Bowser, I'm not, I'm not sure if he is that player right now, but yeah, I mean, he's young. There could be some potential there, so hope to see him stick around. 
Yeah, I think another great takeaway for me, man, is like, look, I mean, I know we talked about the running backs for a while, but Lamar Jackson was absolutely the key for this whole game. The Browns absolutely had no answer for him at all. Uh, it, it was like they were taking away his ability to pass and then just leaving huge rush lanes for him to run through. It's just like, I don't know how the Browns sometimes just forgot that you're playing Lamar Jackson. You literally cannot do that. <laughs> You know, he's going to make you pay. And there were just so many plays like that last night where, you know, Lamar's like, okay, fine, nothing's open. I'm just going to take it. You know, he doesn't have to sit back there and be a drop back passer. He can pick up 10, 20, 30, 40, however many yards he needs to, he could pick that up easily. It was just, you know, it got to a point where it was just like, really, guys, you're not even changing anything? <laughs> um, you know, and, and I mean, he did great. I mean, he had two two rushing touchdowns, I believe, and I mean, ended with, gosh, over 120, 120 yards, 124. 124 yards on nine carries. Oh, also, I'm tilting. I just realized I, I almost did 115 instead of 120 for the quarterback rating. I thought that was plenty fine. He got 115.6. I just missed it. But I think the spirit of it was there. And maybe if he didn't have to go into the locker room for so long, he would have got it. What a shame. But what a game. <laughs> he had the game, though. He had a beautiful game. You know, he probably won you your fantasy week if you needed it uh, with all of his touchdowns and, and overall yardage. Yeah, Lamar Jackson, man, is is 100% back. He's 100% in MVP form. It's almost like the COVID break was good for him. It seems like he is just all cylinders ever since coming back. And it's fun to watch him. It's fun to see him back. You know what I mean? All season, he just wasn't 100%, it seemed, as far as just being that guy, except for the first Cleveland game. And, uh, you know, leaves to Cleveland <laughs> to bring another MVP performance out of him. Yeah, I think the only thing I could fault from the game, obviously, you know, if, if, if he wasn't cramping up, but I mean, that's not really against him in particular, right? <laughs> it's not like he chose to cramp, like, at that particular time of the game, sure, but it sure. really added to the drama. Um, but no, I mean, you know, it was... It, actually, this might have also been cramping related. I think that's what he mentioned in the presser. But those two passes before he exited the game, I think he he missed two throws. Yep. He missed one of them. I think I think one was to Snead and the other one was to Andrews. And man, if we just were able to to complete those passes, I mean, that could have been another scoring drive right there. Andrews was wide open. I think it was Andrews and Boykin. I think we were kind of in the same area, and unfortunately, just kind of fell between the two of them. Exactly. Yeah. But uh. Yeah, that's probably the only throw, you know, at that time in the game. I'm like, oh, if we could have just made that, that would have been, you know, a huge backbreaker. But, you know, with how the game turned out, I don't even know. Like, it could have just been another touchdown and, and then the Browns would have been like, okay, that's fine. Before we get into MVPs, I want to talk about one guy who made one play, but it was a good play. It was on special teams. James Prochet with his fake out, veteran fake out move where it looked like he was going to catch the ball. And he was just like, ah, never mind. And he let it pop right into the end zone. So he got the ball at the 20. Beautiful. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> like, I I really want to acknowledge that play because I think, again, you know, I can't watch every single game, but that feels like something that only comes out of a team coached by a special teams guy. I love our focus on special teams with this team. And that was just a nice play. Yeah. Yeah, I love that play. I, that was actually one of my favorite plays of the night was just, you saw that and it was like, it, it just, it fooled Cleveland so bad. They just thought he was going to do the fair catch and then just at the last second he went out there and it was helped also by a really strong 
uh, bounced by Cook's punt. I mean, that just rocketed into the back of the end zone. But you, you love seeing a smart play from a from a rookie, especially on special teams. I think it's you know I, I know we talked about it during the game too. It, it, it's one of those things of like really well, that's the that's the one play that we're bringing out. Like there were so many other good plays in here. <laughs> <laughs> it, se- it seems incon- hey. inconsequential and you know not important, but you know it's it's one of those things too. You know it, you I feel like you don't realize it until you have like uh, poor special teams, right? Having Prochet a rookie back there and not having any negative plays from him is like the one huge positive I think that the Ravens have that occasionally with even some vet guys we've had in the past like five to ten years sometimes those things happen and with Prochet it just hasn't happened and and that play in particular it's like yeah you you just don't you don't see that from rookie players like you barely even see it from vet players it was just a very smart heads up play and and ended up uh, benefiting the Ravens all right now we can get into MVPs I think there are four people that need an MVP, maybe five, and there's only three of us. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to give an honorable mention. <laughs> I mean, I think that the the real answer is like the MVP of this game is Lamar F and Jackson, as he has mentioned <laughs> in this document. But you know, when Lamar has these games, it's like we can't we can't always give it to Lamar when he reaches this level. We gotta we gotta highlight some other players too. But I mean, yeah, he, he took over this game, but I think in addition to Lamar, my, I guess, SMVP, second most valuable player award, uh, <laughs> I would actually give to Mark Andrews. They didn't target him a ton, a lot less than I thought they were going to in this game. I don't know if some of that was just uh, game script or some of it was, I mean, he he was still coming off, off the COVID list, um, so... Uh, Hopefully he's fully recovered, and we don't know how how this how the virus affected any of these guys. But when they called upon his number, like he made big plays at the end of the half, end of both halves, end of the first half, end of the second half, to put him in position for uh, the go ahead touchdown at halftime and the winning field goal at the end of the game. And he could have had he could have had a touchdown if Lamar uh, hadn't overthrown him. Like we said earlier, he was wide open on that play. So uh, great game back. Uh, from the COVID list by Mark Andrews. All right, well, I'll go. So, I, I yeah. <laughs> How can it be anybody but Lamar? The only other person I'm going to say, Justin Tucker. Sometimes we take this guy for granted. It's just, you know, even on the pod, we're like, we've got Tucker. Like, there's, not, there's nothing even to say. But we just don't have as many opportunities to use him as we should. And this game, we had such an opportunity. And immediately after the game, I told you guys, I was like, I'm buying this guy's jersey. I don't have it, but I need it. Like, always clutch in the biggest moments. Uh, you know, in a game especially where, you know, the Browns on the other side, Parkey had missed an extra point and he missed a field goal. Like, these things aren't a given. I think it was even lucky that they were able to get that last extra point to tie up the game at 42. I was not, you know, I, I was not confident that Parkey was going to make that kick, but when Tucker lined up for that 55 yard field goal at the end to win the game, I, you know, you know uh, there was no there was no doubting. Uh, you know, Tucker was just going to make it. I will say, you know, I I don't know if these are other MVPs, but I just did want to point out a couple of plays that I I'm remembering now that which I thought were kind of really great uh, individual performances. Uh, one that I believe it was the two point conversion by Dobbins to get in was a heck of a run. Andrew Sandejo was going to absolutely smash him, and he took the hit and was just able to bounce off of it. 
fantastic play by the rookie. Another really great, I don't know if this was a play, but uh, I know there was something that was mentioned, uh, was that I think Peters was getting picked on a little bit during the game, but you know, other than Marlon, there was nobody else out there playing. And when Peters, it looked like he was getting down for a little bit, uh, was dealing through some injuries, but man, that guy is such a warrior and just came back. Apparently, Harbs was saying that he wasn't even cleared for uh, to go back out, out on the field. But yeah, right. Peters, Peters was just going out anyway. He's just like, guys, I got to finish this game. And, you know, it's that kind of stuff, man. He, he's, he's a quiet leader, but you'll love to see that stuff. Uh, such a competitor and, you know, is, is awesome to see. So, well, thanks, Chris, for choosing Justin Tucker. He absolutely had to be mentioned. And, you know, it's an uh, amazing game, just absolute drama when it's lost on me until after the game that it was a 55 yard attempt. 55! I'll just say that. Yeah. I am left with a difficult choice. I believe there's two people that need MVP recognition, and I can only give it to one. We have focused a lot on the offense, so I'm going to go with the defensive player. I'm going to go with Money Marlowe. Punch out Marlowe. He had a couple good pass defense uh, moments, as well as his punch outs. I think he was one of the core pieces of glue on this team and definitely helped produce. Yeah, Marlon had a great game. Uh, the only play that I was a little upset with him for was that last touchdown from uh, from Hunt. <laughs> it just like Hunt kind of like put a little bit of a move on him, and he just wasn't able to get a hand on him. It's a little unfortunate, but you know, it's the way it is, man. Overall, I thought still thought it was a, a good game from him. Yes, it was. So with that, we're going to end another episode of Ravens Recap. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter. Ravens underscore recap. We got a couple more followers this week, which was great and a, some good discussion going on there. So we appreciate that. You can also email us feedback at ravensrecap.com. We're really happy about this game. We're going to look forward to seeing the Ravens go against Jacksonville and hopefully continue this winning streak and continue to piece together what they need so we can have a good playoff run. We'll see you there. <laughs>